Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. When we were on break, we took a day with my two brothers and, uh, and a friend down there, and we went fishing one day. And uh, we had had a successful day uh, and caught a couple sailfish, uh, Dorado or a mahi-mahi, some bonitas. It was a good day. It was a very good day. And as we're on our way back, we're sitting on the command bridge and the captain has shared a little bit of his story with this friend who knows him quite well. And just on December 31st, of 2021, just weeks ago, his daughter and his and her boyfriend were on their way back uh, from Acapulco, which is a couple hours away, and they went missing. He had talked to them when they were on the highway, and after that, he heard nothing. They ended up finding their truck with the keys in it parked just off, actually closer to where we are located. And this man, for weeks now, has not known what has happened to his daughter. It, is, it, it was a story that was hard to even to engage and to take in. In moments like that, when you're sharing the story... How do you respond when you hit moments that are so tragic, so impossible to grasp? How do you respond in moments like that? Well, that song that we just heard, Be Thou My Vision. At that moment, we asked if it would be okay if we had prayer for him. If we could just offer a prayer for him and his daughter and family. Because two years previous to this, he had lost his son to a cartel thing. When we laid hands on him and prayed for him, that was what we could bring. And the prayer went something like this. Father, you know what this father's feeling because you've gave up your son and lost your son. And nobody knows what he's feeling like you do. We prayed for comfort and wisdom to the family. We prayed that there would be a resolution to this particular circumstance so that they can then grasp whatever the conditions and find their way forward. You know, in life, you're never going to have all of the strength you need to meet everything that comes your way. Not going to happen. It's always going to take you beyond what your strength is. 
And there's times in life where you just have to take it back. You have to take back your strength. I don't want to talk to you about a cycle today of weakness and refreshment that is normal, it's good, it's part of maturing, and we are going to need to use that often in our lives. Right now, many people are feeling uh, really weak in the times that we live. There's a lot of things that you just don't have power over or control over. Right now, my heart is kind of with a bunch of people down in Ottawa. We're going to have a little prayer for this captain here today before I go further. His name is Alfredo. He's in his 60s. Is my guess. In that moment that we laid hands on and prayed for him, I want to tell you that everybody around there felt a presence. The Lord. Because in the midst of all tragedies that we will go through, all challenges that we will happen, it is really who is with us in the final analysis that really matters and will provide the greatest comfort. And the Lord must be our vision. So would you bow your heads as we just pray one more time for Alfredo and his family. Father, you know him. You know him before he was born. You are working in his family and life, Lord. Lord, evil comes. It touches. But God, you are there. And I I ask that you would bring comfort and again I ask for resolution for this particular thing in his family so that he and his family can heal if necessary or rejoice or get on from where they are at. I pray that you will bring oh, the comfort that only your presence can to somebody going through such loss. And Lord, I also pray for people in this auditorium that themselves are going through loss in their life. Things where, Lord, the, the, there's just a need for resolution. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's difficult waters. There is dark times. I pray in Jesus' name that even as we talk about this subject today, that there will be an uplifting and a releasing and a new sense of liberty and freedom that can come into their hearts and into their situations because Lord you are our vision you are it and when our eyes can see nothing but darkness around us Lord we look to you to be our vision and that's where we look today be our vision so you can be our strength in Jesus name amen strength if you were to define it we need to take a look at kind of maybe from this direction. Strength is the space between my load and my limits. So if you're carrying a burden of 50 pounds and you have the muscle structure and skeletal structure to sustain that and carry that, that is your strength. How long you can carry it for, that is a measure of your strength. It's just the difference between load and limits. And life happens to really throw a lot of things at us that exceed our load capacities. We might be able to at first take it and carry it, but then our strength wanes and it falls short of the objective of what is needed. Strength is just the difference between load and limits. You have your limits. No matter how much you build your muscle, you have your limits. 
no matter how healthy or strong you might consider yourself to be, no matter whether you are of Goliath's stature, you have your limits. Limits are something that are hard to come to terms with. We don't like to live within them. We don't even like to acknowledge them. You have limits. You have limits to your ability to build relationships. You've got to actually go through mature. You've got to have something that takes you beyond your limits. Here's some benefits of strength. It will bring you more peace of mind because, you see, when you get a strength that is something that you know supersedes just your own limits, that God has the ability to carry you, that you can mount up on wings as eagles, you can, you can run and not be weary. When you recognize that God is your portion, Christ is the center, and you're learning through this cycle of weakness and refreshing that he is going to be there. When you start to get that kind of definition of strength and where to look for it and how to build it, you're going to have more peace of mind because you're, you know that even though you have your own personal limits, God has a way of making up the difference. You're going to have better health mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, simply because of the fact that it's not based on your limits. Stronger relationships. Because again, you're not just looking within. You are depending and leaning on the God of all sufficiency. And you are available for God to use because now God can employ you in the big struggles of life for souls and the souls in your own family and for the improvements that are necessary that can come through the skills, the gifts, the energies, the drives that God has put in you. Now he can use you. If it's just subject to your strength, God can't really use you because his call, his plan always exceeds your strength. So what are the steps to building strength in your life? Number one, you do need to accept your human limitations. You have to accept that. Psalm 119, 96 says, I have learned that everything has limits. He's saying you have really tight boundaries. You can't get beyond this. This is a limit. Well, you know that to be the case in every way. Your strength will fail you. That's why you have to have a faith that touches the very presence of God and you got to have something that pick, brings him into the situation that is going to exceed these human limitations. In Job 14, 5, it says, Our time is limited. You have given us only so many months to live and have set limits we cannot go beyond. These are limits. When we recognize our humanity, we are really ready to experience God's divinity. But not until you recognize your own humanity. The more that you're convinced of your own divinity, even this much, you are going to deny yourself his divinity. It is the very acknowledgement of my limitations that causes me to look to God. When you get to the, here's some phrases, end of your rope. When you get to the end of your patience. 
When you know you can't take another step forward, when you've got nothing more to bring to a situation, you can look at that as a great weakness or you can look at that as the beginning of a great refreshing of God's strength. You and I in life will always be brought to our weakness. They will be exposed. Your weaknesses will be exposed. It'll be exposed in the relationship depth that you're trying to build or that you need to go to. It'll be exposed in in the ability of your gifts and your talents to change circumstances. It's going to be exposed. It's going to be exposed in your energy uh, limits, your your strength limits. It's going to be exposed in all of these ways because you have all of these limits. But our limits are not the end of the game because of faith in God. But you must begin it in great honesty. I accept my human limitations. You and I tend to take a look at, you know, if we've got any margin left at all in our life, how many more things we can take on. Where maybe the way that we should be thinking is, how do I simplify so I'm focused and have strength for the most important things in life? Another thing that we need to do to build strength in our life is not just accept our limitations, our human limitations, but expect to have problems. You must have an expectation of problems. You must know that any adventure that you launch out into, any kind of journey you're going to take on, you're going to have problems. You have now just chosen a different set of problems. They are going to come your way. In John 16, a promise from Jesus, he said, in this world you will have trouble. You're going to have it. This is part of what this world is. And then when you start journeying in this world, you're going to have struggles. Evil is, is ever present. As in the case of Alfredo, it can touch our lives in ways we never expect. Proverbs 22.3 A prudent person or a wise person foresees difficulties ahead and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So somebody that just takes something on without really taking a look at the problems, what's going to come, what's gonna, what it's going to take to accomplish this, uh, they're basically saying it's simpleton. You're going to just blindly suffer consequences because you refuse to foresee that there will be problems and difficulties ahead. It's kind of like a couple sitting in premarital and saying we'll never fight. It's called blindness. And then they will suffer the consequences. Normally they run from it then. So because their goal is to never fight and that somehow is the measure of strength, they run from anything that could possibly be a match. That's just blindly being simple. And not recognizing that you can build a fantastic relationship and it's going to incorporate all of you being present and that means that you are going to rub each other the wrong way so that you might learn how to love each other in all ways. Third, you build steps. You take these steps to building strength. The third one is do less. Oh, does that not work? But do less and trust God more. Doing less, but trusting God more. 
not saying it's all on me. I'm the one that's got to portray everything that I need to to everybody of this strength that I've got and I can carry it all, I can do it all, I can be it all. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9 says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Paul is talking. He's saying, I have human limitations. He's saying, I have problems. In fact, such great problems, they were far beyond our ability to endure. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Now, let's just stop there before we finish the verse. This is where you start to look at things through faith. I was talking to somebody just the other day and a conversation exploded right down the way that I've been preparing for this message. And it was somebody that was missing the obvious. They were thinking faith was when I felt good. Faith is when it's all going good. Faith is when I'm just really motivated. And actually faith is more present when you have none of those natural chemistries to lean on. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure it. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea since he's the God who raises the dead. He just throws that in as a little qualifier and saying, doesn't this seem to be the smartest thing you could possibly do is to trust a God that could raise the dead and that's your greatest enemy is death and if he can overcome all of those things, doesn't it make sense that you should trust him in all these things? Do less, trust God more. Let's introduce ourselves to this cycle. Weakness and refreshing is a cycle of maturing. Now to do this, I have to go to a story in the Old Testament to illustrate this to you. And we're going to talk about the man Elijah. But let me read first in 1 Kings 19, 7 to 8. Speaking of Elijah, the Lord's messenger, this is the angel, returned a second time and tapped him. Get up, the messenger said. Eat something because you have a difficult road ahead of you. Elijah got up, ate and drank, and went refreshed by that food for 14 days, and or 40, it should be 40 days and nights until he arrived at Horeb, God's mountain. 40 days on this meal, this refreshment. It's an interesting story, this story. I have to just do a little backstory for you. This is occurring in a time of great depression. A depression has settled upon Elijah for the first time really in his life. He has gotten to the bottom where Jonah was in the mountains of the sea. He's at his lowest point. You can't go any lower. He is just in this defeated state and uh, he can't see anything but fear. Fear has gripped him. It has driven him into the wilderness and he is calling on God to say, God, just take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm a failure, God. I haven't done anything with what I've tried or but it's not worked out. So just take my life, I'm done. The story backstory in the previous chapter goes like this. He has just gone from the greatest high to the greatest low within just 
about like 24 hours. Before this, he had issued a challenge to King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, but to King Ahab, who was a very ungodly king. This guy had welcomed, and through his wife, they had really brought into fruition the worship of the god Baal and the, and the, and the goddess Ashtoreth. And so these two together were just absolutely the worst kinds of, of gods. They had no power. They were just man-made human in their, in their creation, but they were of a thing that could sustain and be very can we say useful for political power, for entrenching the kings and queens' uh, tyranny. And so this god, Baal, had a bunch of prophets. 400. 400 of them. And so Elijah, the prophet of God, says, meet me on Mount Carmel, which is by modern Haifa area in Israel. Meet me by on Mount Carmel, and let's see which God will answer by fire. We'll both have this, this challenge. Let's do this challenge, who the real God is. And most of you will be familiar with some of the story. And so on that mountain, on that day, they all come. 400 prophets of Baal, and then you have Elijah standing alone. And he says, you guys go first. So in the morning, they prepare a bull, and they prepare an altar. They put it, the bull on there, and then these guys start dancing around there, and they start early in the morning, and they go to basically lunchtime. And they've been dancing around, and it just got more heated as they went, and it, the, the real th- answer is going to be the God who answers by fire and consumes the sacrifice, makes it obvious he's the true God. Well, of course there's no fire. Man's inventions cannot create God. You can't create God. You're created by God. But we continue to do this over and over again. We make money a God. We make fame a God. We make safety a God, security a God. We make all kinds of things gods. We were creating gods all the time. But there's only one God. So they get really animated as they're doing this. And it, the Bible tells us they start cutting themselves with their swords and their, and their spears, just like it says as their practice was to do. So they start just, cut, blood is flowing down these guys and they're crawling. I mean, this is really animist in its practice. Finally, Elijah says, all right, guys, just cry a little louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Seriously. Says, wake him up. Elijah's turn comes. He says, okay, you guys had the morning. Nothing's happened. My turn. He builds an altar, 12 stones, one for each of the tribes of Israel. God's plan. He just goes by God's plan, builds the altar. Then what he does is he takes a bowl and he portions it out the way that it should be, and it's put on the altar. Then he calls for servants to bring uh, some water and they stick on four big uh, jars of water. Then they do it again and then they do it again. So 12 big jars of water. He had dug a trench around the altar and it's filled with water. So everything's soaked. So he's just doing this thing that makes it obvious that this is going to be a fire from God. See, Elijah's game plan here is this is the moment. 
This is the breakthrough. This is when it's all going to come together. This is when the nation's going to turn right back. I'm going to make sure they know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's God in this moment doing this. And it's good that he was doing that. But his objective was that it would end the battle. It would end the tyranny of the king. It would end all of this. And then all of a sudden, Israel would return to the true God. So then he simply prays to God. Fire does come down from heaven. It consumes the bull. It consumes the rocks. It consumes the water in the ditch. It consumes everything. It's just gone. The people that it all gathered, they're like aghast. They all do away with the prophets of Baal. And it looks like the day is won. It's over. And, and now there hasn't been rain on the land because of this idolatry for three years, over three years. And Elijah prays that there would be rain. And seven times he prays. And finally, it looks says a cloud like a man's hand is coming and the dark clouds are filling the sky. I tell you, if you've ever been in drought and you see rain coming, it's yes. I watched a little uh, show on elephants and how elephants, if, if they if they see a storm in, 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 on the horizon and they're in a dry area, they will just immediately go towards the storm. They know there's going to be water. And so water is on its way. So Elijah, it says he girds up his clothes a bit and he starts running. He beats the king's chariot back to the city and he is expecting all of this to change in this moment. And Jezebel is told by Ahab what had happened, this amazing thing that took place. And she says and sends a messenger to Elijah and says, Elijah, before this day is out, see if I don't have your life. This guy runs. See, the greatest believers are going to be subject to fainting fits. There is something that will exceed your strength. All these years, this courageous prophet has stood. He's seen God move. And you think that would just continue on a left to upper right, you know, uh, curve. And it's, and it's not. All of a sudden, we have this complete fear that grabs his heart and his strength fades from him. And it took that form of saying, God, just take away my life. I'm not better than my father's. It took this self-destructive frame. It, it took this particular form of a desire to die. By the way, this is not very uncommon either among hard work to people that get burnt to the point where they've lived so far beyond their strength or they, they have worked so hard and then all of a sudden this crushing moment when it all seems to have all failed. And where Christ is not, be thou my vision. In fact, it was a very rational thing for Elijah to be sick at heart to that degree and to have that desire to die when you think about it. Can you just see him just 24 hours before? On Mount Carmel? When all of this stuff is taking place and you've got this amazing picture of this one true God answering by fire and can you imagine then when the rain comes and the prophets of Baal are done away with and, and all of this is changing and he's thinking that it's all there. You could not, I'm surprised his chest wall kept his heart from not busting out. He would have been so, wow! High points.
But instead, within 24 hours, it's flipped on them. And you know what I'm talking about because you've been through this cycle. Weakness. And I want you to learn how to add the refreshing. Because you will get weakness. Because your strength is not enough. You are human. This guy who had looked at heaven and saw fire come down is now afraid of a queen who swears that she's going to put him to death. That's his human nature. He hit the wall. It's one step too far. His faith didn't go ahead of him on this one. You know, we see it in others. Peter, he's so bold in the garden. He cuts off the high priest servant's ear, Malchus, and yet a little maid comes in just hours later and challenges him and saying, you're a friend of Jesus, and he denies it with oaths and curses. How is it that we can move from high to low? Because when our strength ends... It really ends. And we are left with a choice. Our God is so good to us in these times. You know, God is, is, is so amazing to us. He, he, even, even the way that he'll allow these seasons, when he allows you to fall into the depression of spirit, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't come against you and really uh, uh, even chastise you at that moment. He knows you need some food, some water. You need some angel food. You need something from heaven in those moments. You need something that's really, really from him. You need something that comes from his heart to your heart. I'm thankful that God in our weakest moments doesn't choose those moments to bring the strongest discipline. He waits till he rebuilds your strength and then he will chastise you. You know, when the battle is fought and then the strength to fight it is taken away, the victory is won, the fire has fallen. Therefore, you know, once that strength is not needed, it's removed. And God's servant is made to go and he lies down under a juniper tree and which is probably the best thing he could have done. Some of you have come to the end. One step too far. A wall too thick you can't bust through. Find a juniper tree. These things come to us because we are weak. And there is an evil present in it because we are failing. Yes, our flesh will always fail. But when we fail like that and we look to God, we can turn uh, to God for help and, and hope and rebuilding in these failures when we understand that we have reached beyond our human limitations. And then we can prevent greater evils that can happen because we try to not turn to God when our weaknesses are so obvious. When your weakness is obvious, turn to God. It'll stop the greater evils. I'm sure Elijah knew in his heart, always, 
that the glory must always be given to God. But I have a feeling that Elijah, he, he was looking at it that day on that mountain when he saw that. And there would have been just how could you not have resisted some elevation of your own spirit? And how could you not have somehow looked at the splendor of the deeds and your place in that, in what happened? And then you start, you know, attaching yourself to directly to the result. And the glory must always be totally to God because every gift, every breath, is because of God's grace to you. Paul, remember what he said? He says, a thorn in the flesh has been given me from Satan, and the Lord has not taken it away. I've asked him three times. But it is here to keep me humble. It's here to keep me in a place of dependence on him. Paul was given such amazing uh, revelations and knowledge and the ability with the power of God through his ministry that God gave him this thorn, let the enemy actually have a place of attacking him in a certain way. And, and, and in this thorn, he was kept humble that it wasn't him. That was the source of all these great revelations. It wasn't him behind all these power movements. This is God's way. It's a, it's a bit of a discipline that he always brings in. And it's painful. You know, whether... As Christians, we're dwarfs or giants. Our experience is amazingly alike. There are things in us that even grace has not completed or will finish that work in this life. There's an old saying. It says this, when the peacock looks at his fair feathers, he may afterwards look at his black feet. God keeps us in touch with our humanity and our human weakness and when we wish to ignore it, when we wish to use it as a base to attack things greater without looking to God, without leaning totally into God, we are saying our strength is enough and we are acting out of a human weakness and we will find that greater evil will come. Ezekiel, fantastic prophet. Ezekiel, in fact, may have been the greatest of all, of all of the prophets in this regards. He revealed some things that were absolutely stunning. But all through his book, here's how he is, is addressed. The son of man. The son of man. The son of man. It's like... Every time he gets a great revelation, his title is always the son of man, like God is reminding him, you're just human. You're just human. You're just human. You're just human. You have your limitations. You're just human. When you use faith to not be human, deny your humanity, that is not faith. You use faith because of your humanity. The son of man. Sometimes the strongest believers experience the most oppressive weaknesses. 
Now, what does God do? What we find in this cycle, when it comes to refreshing, God has this way of refreshing you when you're honest about your humanity. When you're like that Elijah saying, I am done. I mean, I'm finished. I can't go any further. I can't do any more in this relationship. I can't do any more in this discouraging set of economics. I cannot do anything more in my health. I can't do it. I can't go another step. God has this unique way once we get real about our humanity. He shows us a different kind of divinity and he feeds us differently. You know, Elijah was fed remarkably on three different occasions in hiding from King Ahab. First, he was fed as he hid in the brook Kareth ravine. And he hid by a brook, and that was his water source. And the ravens would bring him lunch twice a day, basically lunch and dinner. He would get, he would get these ravens dropping meat and other things. Ravens do that kind of thing. And God coached them, and he was fed literally by God using ravens for a long period of time. Then he's fed by an impoverished widow as he has to leave the brook as it dries up. And God says, now go up to this place. And he goes and, and God says, here's where you're going to stay. And it's a woman, she's making her last meal for her son and her before they'd perish in this famine that this drought has brought on. And he says, bake me a cake first. She did. And from that moment on, Every morning when they got up, there was oil and there was meal or there was ground grain. And so this miracle continued until God finally brought this collision on this mountain that day. And now in his deepest, darkest moments, God saved the best meal for last. He is fed by an angel. God might be feeding you from ravens. He might be feeding you from somebody else's faith and, and, and uh, you get the blessing of that and, and them trusting like that. Uh, he, he might be doing that, but there's going to be moments that are going to be so dim and so dark and you're going to be so far into your weakness that you need angel food. And those are the times when God brings his best. That's when you eat the angel food that you can drive for 40 days and 40 nights. You can go. This is a supernatural kind of experience. It's the moments that many of you as believers, when you walk with God long enough, you have had where he put some nourishment into your soul that affirmed your value, affirmed your grace, affirmed your salvation, affirmed your joy, affirmed your peace to such a degree. You walked in that for a long time just because of that one word, that one speaking, that one touch. In this, that's what Elijah found. When Jesus whispers into your soul and you get angel food, it's amazing strength. I could tell you of different occasions when that has happened in my life. Where that word from God just stilled it. He, he just stilled it. And he poured strength. It was his. It was obviously not even mine reclaimed. It was just him. 
Sometimes he gives us the richest meal when we're just in our weakest state. Just like he saved in that, the best wine for last at that wedding in Cana of Galilee. Jesus steps into your moment. But I also understand something about God's strength and about this cycle of refreshment. Not just does he refresh you that way. He, does, he doesn't refresh you so you can go and waste your strength. His strength, really. Elijah wasn't fed that he could get strong and then waste the Lord's strength. See, as Christians, we're soldiers. But we're not soldiers that are just on parade. We're not just dressed in our finest outfits and marching on some field. That is not, a soldier like that is not in conflict. You are in constant conflict. Life has put you there. You are God's soldier and you're always in active service. And he gives you double rounds of ammunition when you need it. And he wants you to use all of it. And he doesn't replenish a sword in your hand so that you just make it look good. He does it because there's a fight coming. He doesn't just replenish your armor and give you fresh, good armor because there's no fight ahead. It's because you will need it. What God gives will be used. So he ate this angel food and he goes on this long, solitary journey. 40 days, 40 nights. Kind of a strange idea, a strange march for this soldier. And God calls his people to do something very much like it. Sometimes very, it's almost weird like. It's solitary, it, it, your soul is in this solitary place. Nobody can walk with you where you have to go when you're coming out of this kind of thing. When you're dealing with this kind of depth of depression of soul and you're dealing with this change uh, of, of going from this high and God doing amazing things and then all of a sudden you're in this place of what's going on and you're filled with fear and what seems solid is now fluid and you you're going through those times like that and it's heavy, nobody else can really just carry you where you need to go. You have to take the strides and no one else can take those for you. You have to go a way that hasn't been walked before by somebody else. You don't have a pioneer in front of you. You don't have a companion that's just standing there and can carry you at that moment. He has called you maybe to a special suffering even. Maybe he's called you to special service, but there's also special sufferings. And he calls us to those things. And you walk those things alone. There are things that you know nobody could walk those exact steps with you. When Moses had his heaviest cares upon him, I mean, who could he really go and say, hey, do you get this? Like, can you just kind of tell me what the next step, you know, how to take that? There are sometimes a bitter uh, thing to our experiences that is uniquely solo. There are heights and depths through which you're going to have to pass and you will have to pass them alone. And you know that. You can have others that are there to encourage you. Yes. They can support you, pray for you, but the steps are yours. But God will feed you with angel food. Wonder why it took him 40 days and 40 nights. You ever thought that? Because this is only about, oh, 120 clicks. Why would it take 40 days and 40 nights? 
by the way, you'd be proud of me. I rode up goat trails all on this little break I had here, and I probably rode between 120, 150 kilometers in total. Okay, I did that. Got a little road rash from a wipeout. Why did it take so long? Well, let's just turn the days to years and 40 years the Lord had brought Israel through the wilderness. And maybe God took Elijah the long way to Mount Horeb. Maybe he revisited all the stopping points of Israel. Why would God ever do that? Elijah, you've lost your temper. Elijah, you're angry about the nation's choice and about a queen. And you're angry, Elijah, about all of these circumstances. Elijah, how do you think I felt when I led the nation for 40 years? Maybe you can understand how I felt a little bit, Elijah. Here's something nuanced for those that walk deeply with God. Sometimes God wants you to understand his compassion and to have compassion even towards the great faithfulness of God. God bore with all the ill manners, the rebellions, the idolatries of the people he led. And he's done it for you and he's done it for me. And for us to reflect and to say, oh God, how gracious you are. And then we begin to understand why these things make him angry. And then it magnifies how matchless his grace is to us. It humbles us. And humility is the foundation of the cycle of weakness and refreshing. Where there is no humility, there is no refreshing. Weakness is meant to put you into humility and to acknowledge the things you know in your life are the limitations. And they've been exceeded. I'm angry. Instead of trying to spiritualize that in some other frame or form, you need to be honest and acknowledge it and say, this is how I am. I'm angry at her, that, that queen. I'm angry at Ahab, that spineless king. I am angry at the people for not rising up. I am angry about... Humility then can begin a work once you acknowledge your weaknesses. That leans you into the refreshment phase. God, you've been there. You have the reason to be these things towards me, but you give me grace. And it allows us to give grace back to others. Finally, this story comes to this particular conclusion. Elijah arrives at Mount Horeb, climbs into a cave, and there the Lord comes but not the way Elijah thinks. The Lord first comes in some shows of power, at least he causes them, but he wasn't in those things, it says. There was a wind, there was an earthquake, there's a fire. 
And he wasn't in any of those things. But then came a still small voice. And it spoke to the prophet, this great prophet Elijah in his weakest moments. And it said, and it brought the challenge. First he strengthens them. He gives them angel food. He causes them to be refreshed and recovered. And then he's now going to bring a rebuke to the prophet. Now the prophet's not used to hearing this because he's used to bringing it. Don't be used to bringing it more than you're used to hearing it. And here was the rebuke. What are you doing here, Elijah? More or less he's saying, you own it, buddy. You own where you're at. What are you doing here? God didn't say, I brought you here. He said, what are you doing here? This was not the language that Elijah had been accustomed to hear from his God. He would hear instead himself speaking to his fellow men with this language. He was not accustomed to hearing from God these things. Softer sentences had before come to him. It was always that encouragement or direction and, and it was always that kind of with great clarity and grace. But this time now it is a rebuke. What are you doing here? When you've recovered your strength, God will then go at the things that cause you not to grow. He's going to go at the things that are holding you back, holding back that better relationship, holding back that better uh, health in your life, that better type of mental and emotional strength that's needed. He, it's holding you back. That part where you are denying your humanity and you're denying your limits. And God is going to say, what are you doing here? Let's acknowledge you. Own this, Elijah. Own it. Tell me why you're here. Have you ever asked yourself of that question? Have you ever, why is my family here? Why is my finances here? Why is my health here? Why is my life here? That's a great self-analysis. He doesn't going to chasten you when you're weak and sickly. He's going to strengthen you first and then he's going to chasten you which means to correct you with his love because you're sons and daughters because he wants you to be strong. You can't recover your strength without humility which owns these things in your life. When you have no power left you throw yourself at the foot of the cross because the cross is the juniper tree. The cross is the place where you are in your greatest weak points and you understand there is no way to God's favor on my own journey. I have nothing to offer. I am at the cross. I need the Savior. I need the mercy and the grace of God. I need the salvation that Jesus provides. I need that daily. I need his strength. I am... My humanity has huge limits and it cannot be ever become the divinity. And when you get to that point and you throw yourself at the foot of the cross, Christian, you may have to do that fresh this morning and just say, I have so slipped into the, my own little divinity. Find humility again at the cross. That is the core of humility. I am a sinner. I need grace and I will only be saved by grace. That is the beginning 
of my humanity coming to the point it needs to in humility where God's divinity can now work and change and grow and make good things happen. And you're going to find when you get into humility again, you're going to get a cake baked on hot coals. You're going to get water given. There's angel food. God is going to sustain your spirit. His strength will come to you. Weakness? Of course. Because we have limitations. Oh my gosh, it's not the end, folks. It's the beginning. Elijah's story continues to where God now puts some other things in play that completely revolutionize Israel. Elijah thought it was Mount Carmel. No, God had a bigger, better plan. If you've gone from a high to a low, you've gone through things as I've expressed about this story, about this captain who on a night of celebration on December 31st had an evil touch his family. There's only one place to go in our human weakness when we have no answers and no power and no strength. It's to acknowledge that we don't have it. And then to bring our full humanity into the great divinity and grace of our amazing God. Would you stand with me? I really loved that song, Be Thou My Vision, that they just did. It was absolutely remarkable. And I'd like you, uh, Brenda, if you can, I don't know if, it's, if you can, but if you can put that as your redo on this one. And, uh, but we want to have a prayer together. And this is going to go to believers here today. You're online in this auditorium. You and I don't have to live in perpetual deep, dark places. The way out is to acknowledge our human limitations and get out of being conned into somehow that we can fashion the strength to repair anything, to do anything. Life teaches us that far too often we can do nothing. But that moment is the beginning of a call from your heart that's honest, that God hears, that God responds to when your heart in humbleness gets to the cross afresh again. Come. Father, as we bow our heads, I just pray that right now around this entire auditorium and online, our hearts would find a fresh place of humility so that we might experience refreshing 
our strength, Lord, is often laid low by life. Things happen. There are long things that wear us down. There's things that come in fast, totally unexpected, that take all of our strength away. And Lord, then we try to live in our own strength in response. It has already failed us. The arm of man will always fail, Lord, but the arm of God never will. I pray in Jesus' name that around this auditorium in every heart as best as we understand it, there'd be just this honest reaching out and saying, God, here's where I'm at. This is why I'm here. Lord, that we'd ask ourselves this question, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? God, here's what I am. Here's why I am here. It's because, Lord, my strength gave out. It, I am here because I can't control the king and queen. I am here because I can't control other people. I am here because I can't control you. But I need you. And humility, Lord, that I express right now is that I need you. I need you in this family situation. I need you to have this, Lord, to get strength back in my family. I need you, Lord, in the economic situation, in the health situation. I want to get back strength, but I can't get it, Lord, on my own. I can't fashion it out of myself. Lord, there are things around me I'd love to change. Lord, people I'd love, I can't do it. But Lord, I can call upon you and say, oh God, in humility, I recognize my limitations. And it causes me now to look at you and to do less and to trust you more. So whatever it is, folks, you just might want to just in your own mind, you might want to express it with your hands, but Lord, here you go. Here it is. Can't do it. But we come to you. And we just got to trust you. We acknowledge our huge weaknesses and limitations. But that's when your divinity can show up because of our humility. Here it is, Lord. Here it is. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.